0: Greetings and salutations, my fellow art lovers. Welcome to Not Real Art, the podcast celebrating creativity and creative culture worldwide. I'm your host, Sourdough. And on today's episode, I'm honored to be joined by a very talented creative executive. She develops, produces in the television uh, sector, she happens to also be a fellow podcaster, which is awesome. I had the honor of being on her podcast, which we'll talk about. She also is, in, is very interestingly a spiritual advisor, spiritual pastor, which we'll also bond over as well. I want to welcome the very wise... One and only Karen Frost.
1: Hey, I am starting to just own that idea of being wise. I love that intro.
0: You, name Thank it and you. claim it, right? man. That's
1: what it's about.
0: And do you get that a lot? Do you get that now that you're a pastor? You're like, you know, people coming to you?
1: That is exactly what happened. Yeah. And, and it's, it was really, I didn't expect it because as I was in ministerial school, I wasn't planning to do anything with it. Mm-hmm. And I never had this idea of by the time I finish ministerial school, I am officially the one of the wise ones in american culture but that's exactly what happened is there was this shift where people started looking at me differently and yes. speaking to me differently <laughs> All of them.
0: Well, as soon as the wise person starts calling his or herself wise, that's when they lose me. So, <laughs> right? I mean, you are clearly wiser than most because you are humble and 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 cautious about uh, you know embracing that label.
1: Yeah, thank you for saying that. It's, it makes perfect sense that the kind of people who are out there, the kind of people who say I am the wise one, are the ones that. Are generally just spouting bullshit, in my experience. <laughs>
0: so, how many divorces? <laughs> yeah,
1: pretty much.
0: <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, I. I mean, we have so much to talk about. We have so much to unpack. I'm like so stoked that you were here. You're so damn busy. The fact that you're able to get into the studio during work hours. I mean, yes. that's 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 a miracle in itself.
1: I'm, I'm so happy to do that. I love we were having this conversation offline. Was It was such a freeing experience for me to choose to say, I'm going to record a podcast in the middle of the day and block myself out in the calendar. That was a moment of freedom for me.
0: Well, I'm disappointed to tell you that at our podcast, we don't drink wine. Which, you know, not all podcasts can be as cool as yours. Our listeners need to know that when I had the honor of being on your podcast, you guys break open the vino, man.
1: Yeah, Drunken Church Ladies. That's what it's called. So you're supposed to be drunk. Me and my wife are the Drunken Church Ladies. So we represent accordingly. But we're recording this at 10 a.m. today. So I felt like even if I probably would have brought... Wine or something, <laughs> but 10 a.m. on a Wednesday felt like it wasn't appropriate, so I left it at home.
0: Yeah, if I start drinking now, I'm not going to stop. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's sober October. My wife is doing sober October. Oh, Are you guys no. uh, doing well, sober I October? I
1: haven't even heard of that, and I don't need to hear <laughs> <Yeah>. of
0: that. <laughs> well, right, because if it was sober October, you wouldn't be able to record your podcast. Exactly. How is the podcast going?
1: You know, I support anybody who chooses to live a sober life. Wholeheartedly support that. But the podcast has been—it's been growing. I was really. really resistant to the idea of creating the podcast because I have so much going on. Because I run my own spiritual center. The executive role was new for me at Juvie Productions. And so the idea of starting a podcast was a lot. And at first, I was not paying attention to it. My wife and my best friend had done it. And because my spiritual center is called Spirit Uncensored, my wife was saying, drunken church ladies, as a brand, we already have it. Let's revive it. And I said, well, you can do it. I'll just show up and when as i've been starting to do it i'm i'm starting to feel like i'm coming into my own skin getting used to the sure. idea of like producing the conversation, watching the time, um, i can be a kind of Nazi about the time, and so I'm learning. This podcast actually, not real art, helped is inspired me to think about my constraints that I add oh, to our structure around time. But I have this thing of like, where's that balance between yeah. a loose, unstructured conversation and something that's that's tight and polished but at the same time you want to allow for freedom i feel like freedom is our word of the day so far
0: absolutely it's so funny that you say that because your podcast and I'm not just saying this because you're in here. I was so impressed with the sort of segmented nature of the show and the structure. And it was very quite rigorous around the organization. And you have bits, so to speak. Yeah. Right. And I thought that was fantastic. And I'm now at a point with this show, 60, 66 episodes or something in, I think you're number 67, uh, thinking about, well, how do you shape it up? How do you massage it? How do you – without losing the kind of the energy – and the the ethos of the brand, whatever your brand is, um, how can we, you know, get a bit more organized? Yeah, you know? that's
1: awesome. I love that we're inspiring each other. I love I, it. I feel like our structure is designed for creativity. Yeah. You know, I am the only person that's a Nazi about it. My wife is enjoying herself every step of the way and is not looking at the clock. So <laughs> I just me being in that role in that seat, knowing that that's what my job is, to, is to keep the show moving. Right. So that we're hitting everything and that it, it ends up not, you know just not going on forever. That's yeah. my intent. But at the same time, our followers are saying things like, Why do you keep cutting her off? And um so I've been trying to find a happy
0: medium. Let her run. Damn <laughs> yeah. it. Let her run. Yes. Well, you know, it it's interesting because when we started this podcast the little joke, running joke for the first few episodes was, you know, why are we doing this? The last thing anybody has time for, the last thing the world needs is another podcast. And so we thought we would uh, address this issue in part by keeping our podcasts. Uh, very short. So, you know, maybe bite size, you know, 15 minutes, 30 minutes tops, you know, and of course that didn't last long <laughs> because, you know, you you want to go deep, you want to get into some substance yeah. and, you know, it's very hard to, to do it bite size if you'd want to, you know, have something meaningful to contribute. And, you know, so I think now we're running about an hour, maybe an hour and a half if it, you know, is really rolling on some level. And, you know, what, what do people have time for? What is the ideal thing? You know, and I think part of the beauty of having segments or bits is that it, it changes it up so that people are, you know, they stay engaged, they stay interested, they don't, you know, I might lose people 15 minutes into the conversation just because I say something stupid, which I often do, you know.
1: Yeah. I. The wife came up with all those segments. the The whole idea, the concept of drunken church ladies was something that came out of a drunken night with me and my wife and my best friend. And so they had this general idea of the idea, Drunken Dursley is just came up in a drunken night, and they came up with these ideas of the confession, where you tell a personal story, and saints and sinners, where we have somebody that has pissed us off this month, or uh, the sinner of the person, the, sin- the saint of somebody that has done something great or inspired us in some sort of way. So the ideas of the segments all came together before we even started our very first podcast. The wife had decided that she wanted to record one. I don't, you, like you're talking about, with so many of them. I don't know what it was that made her say, I'd like to do one, especially because she's such an introvert. But I think it was just a way to creatively express. And we had like a friend that's a podcast producer. So it was just, it's affordable for us. And it was just, it's been a hobby. But because of the Spirit Uncensored brand, I've been trying to find ways to really bring them together. And I've just been getting a lot of really good feedback lately. So I've been leaning into it.
0: So, okay. There's so much to talk about. Yeah. You and I met, originally through our connection at Columbia College Chicago yes my alma mater you worked at Columbia College yes. if I if I remember correctly and then we met at an alumni event uh, early or midsummer or yes. something and of course for whatever reason maybe it's the Chicago connection I don't know but you and I just totally hit it off and we're just like but everybody Chopping from
1: there is from Chicago, so it right. couldn't have been that. I, know, well, well, <laughs> I think well, I think it has to do with the fact that usually when people go to mixers, they have yeah. this agenda. Yeah. It's a, I am trying to do this. I'm trying to get staff does a job or someone – you go with some kind of agenda. Right. And the two of us, I think we just came to like – shoot the shit with other Chicagoans, and have a drink and enjoy ourselves. And so we just happened to be the two people in the room with that objective. So it would make sense that we would find each other. And that's what we did is we talked about spirituality and philosophy while we were – drinking and being in our <laughs> Chicago
0: selves. I Well, absolutely. And uh, your energy is infectious, but it, on balance, your energy is infectious. Um, but then when you drop this whole, you know, and I'm a, a spiritual uh, counselor, advisor, minister, pastor, I, you know, it intrigued me immediately because as a born again pagan, you know, I lost my religion a long time ago. Don't go to church, although I come from a long line of ministers. And so to see a contemporary of by and I'm a lot older than you, but you know you're you take, take well. I'm not. older than you, but we are. We'll call it. We'll just say we're contemporaries. <laughs> yeah. To who you know who's clearly you know a creative person, a, a uh, an intelligent individual, a critical thinker, so on and so forth. To then see that you're embracing this this other aspect of life on your own terms, yeah, uh, was quite inspiring.
1: Thank you. That yeah. was definitely a, a, a challenging journey because yeah. as you pointed out, the our religious traditions are just that. They're traditions. And so we've been kind of passed down the most watered down version of presentation of spirituality that there is. And there's not a lot of spaces for us to explore. What spirituality means to us individually, yeah, and identify and define that for ourselves, and I'm grateful to have been able to come across places that gave me that safe space to do so, yeah. Which is what inspired me to create a safe space for other people to do it too, right? Pass it along,
0: yeah. No, it's, we're not given permission generally in this country to question authority, exactly. right? Or quite, let alone the church or anything like this. Yes. So, yeah, I called bullshit a long
1: time ago, <laughs> and I get it. But so that's the thing is yeah. like that's. There's There's always been two choices. You either ignore the fact that it's bullshit Mm -hmm. and continue to be immersed in Mm -hmm. it or you call bullshit and are separate from it as opposed to – like I said, finding that space to really identify with spirituality. Well, because the yeah,
0: b- well, because there are so many people just like me. Yes. Who who called bullshit a long time ago but still need to be fed or still need community or still want community. Maybe they don't need it, but they want it. Yeah. And you you want that camaraderie of other people who 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 broke their own trail. To find their spiritual truth.
1: Yeah. You know? I, I have a, a bigger agenda in mind, I think, of really wanting to redefine God for us as mm. as a world where our images and perceptions of what it is has were decided a really long time ago. Yeah. And I feel <clears throat> like we're in a space now, especially with the internet, where everyone has an opportunity to have a podcast, to use their voice, yeah. to really change the narrative around what God is. and so I I feel like the bigger the bigger those spaces are, the more people know that they exist and the more that it's an option to them. Mm. So it's I just have this this dream essentially like you were talking about where people are have the space and the opportunity to do so, but it's not just for them individually. it's carving the way and creating a space, a context so that people have heard of it that when somebody says what I've been born into is bullshit, is there anything else it's oh yes there is this other thing that i've heard about somewhere or somehow and so the more people that are showing up and donating to the experiences themselves the more that they get to be louder the yeah. more that i get to market it and the more that it gets, gets to be a an opportunity for people to find it
0: so just because it's on my mind right now, yeah. and I don't want to forget where, and because we usually do this at the end of the show, mm-hmm. but I we have so much to talk about, but but where can people find you online? You find your center, find Drunken Ladies Podcast, I'm guessing, you know, Apple Podcasts, things like this. But yeah. tell, tell our listeners a little bit about, you know, your center and where they can find you.
1: Yeah. Um, RevKarenFrost.com is where all information about me is, the podcast, uh, where I'm speaking, things like that. Um, but Spirit Uncensored is the name of the spiritual center where mm-hmm. I'm senior minister. And we hold events on the 2nd and the 4th Sunday of the month at a higher Center for Spiritual Living in Pasadena. Mm-hmm. And I'm really happy that we found that space as well. I had Spirit Uncensored started in a center in Burbank, which I am incredibly grateful for, um, but my wife just wasn't being fed by their Sunday morning services. Mm-hmm. And I needed to – I wanted to be someplace where I was getting spiritual food from the place where I was giving it as yeah, well. Sure. And so – I'm so grateful to have found this place that I feel like I can recommend to people to go on a Sunday. Um, and at the same time, my wife wants to go there. So, we get to be there Sunday morning mm-hmm. and then do our event on the fourth Sunday and the second Sunday,
0: twice a month. That's fantastic. So, how does... Because you're a storyteller, you know, day to day. I'm
1: learning that. Right. Well, yeah. you're, you're right. Yeah, I mean, you are... learning that with the freedom. Yes.
0: And, you know, so I want to explore a little bit about how the, your two lives or three lives or whatever come together in the Venn diagram that is Karen Frost. Uh, Because one of the other interesting connections uh, that you, that you and I share is that uh, you happen to work with a woman who happens to be friends with my wife, uh, the the one and only amazing Viola Davis. And so at her production company, Juvie Mm -hmm. productions, correct? Yes. Okay. So how long have you been there and talk a little bit about your role there as a uh, creative executive.
1: Sure, I want to touch on the storyteller part first, and yes, then sort of segue into that because the Venn diagram of it all. Yeah, because it's it's been an, an ongoing journey. Like I said, with around wanting to, to redefine God. At the same time, I my journey of discovering who I am and using my voice has been ongoing. And I often say that as a half-Black, half-Jewish lesbian, this idea of not fitting into any box made me feel like I can see things from the outside, but I never really valued my own voice. And I'm just now coming to terms with it. And Mm -hmm. honestly, Juvie Productions is what created that safe space for for me to use my own voice. It's it's a company that is – Uh, really populated predominantly with people of color. And I've never worked in entertainment at a place where this – I mean, you have somebody like Viola, somebody who's very well-established, super inspirational in her own right. So they're all people who've worked really hard to get to where they are and at the same time are creating the safe space for people of color to tell their own stories and not feel the need to justify their story to the person in front of them. And so I experienced this privilege of – Meeting with writers, producers, directors on a daily basis as they, as they're sitting across from two queer people of color, me and our head of TV is a a um, he's a queer Asian man. We're both married, so the fact that you're you're meeting two queer people who are both in same sex long term relationships is mind blowing to a lot of people. Yeah. And when when we create this space where they don't have to justify their stories to people, I've recognized that that privilege. I just. I just finished a pilot script of my own that I've been going out with and talking to people about just because Congratulations, I just know. Thank you, by thank the way. you. Because yeah. I just now found my voice. I knew what I wanted to say and how I wanted to say it. And I, the very first person that I met with to talk about it asked me these questions where I realized, oh, she's asking me to justify my story. And she doesn't know it. You know, it's not a mm-hmm. conscious sort of, um, you know, I wouldn't say it's that whole idea of unconscious bias, right? Like she didn't see- um, a person who who is different than she is and has a very different experience um, than she does in front of her. She saw me as the sh- the way she sees every Hollywood person. We're all the same. We're all in together. Yeah. We're all using our voices in our own way. And she asked me a lot of questions where I'm realizing that this is the thing that writers have been talking about their entire careers and I'm just now experiencing it for yeah. the first time. Yeah. But Juve has given me the space to really identify my own sense of self, my own clarity. So I didn't have any problem when she said, could you ever write from the perspective of a, so not somebody who's a person of color something that, that's colorblind, that anybody can play, I could say, no, that's not something I would ever do because all that means is that you're whitewashing, that you're taking away yeah. the cultural specificity and the cultural signifiers of that of that person and pointed out the difference with, with our my culture and her culture um, as an example that had come up earlier in the coffee. And so it was just this understanding that Juvie is giving me the education to use my voice, the safe space, to use my voice and to explore both the entertainment industry and what I have to say in it. Yeah. So yeah. I, I love it. I, everything that we do is about supporting marginalized artists, helping them use their voice and and sell their projects to television, which is a hard thing to do. It's already hard to sell a TV show. But when you put a culturally specific marginalized person at the center of it, the people who make the decisions about what to buy are very confused by that idea. And it helps when you say, well, Viola Davis has put her stamp of approval on it. It's like, okay, you know, we'll, we'll think about it, but generally we need to have a person of color, a marginalized person who generally is at a lower level somewhere at the network to really advocate and fight for it and say, yes, this is a story that needs to be told and I get it. And you all should listen to me about getting, about us buying this project. So we've got, um, about, Eight things set up at cable streaming, or I think it's seven at cable streaming and one thing set up at broadcast, something that died two years ago that is coming back to life right now, which is really exciting. Yeah, that's cool. Yes, and it was something that, the general public had – the news about it dropped two years ago, and people were really excited about it, mm-hmm. and it didn't happen. Can you
0: talk about it? What's the project? I don't know. It's right. that whole thing. I'm like, <laughs> um,
1: can I talk about it? I don't know if I can – you know, when I say resurrected, it's loose. Give me so the elevator pit. The project is called Black Don't Crack, and nice. it's basically the African-American Golden Girls. And the, <laughs> cool. the resurrection of it is yeah. still super, super early, so yeah. I can't even right. – I am – Saying out loud right now that it's not official, that nothing has been signed, but something that looked like it was dead two years ago may not be dead. Right. Um, And that's really exciting.
0: I love it. I love it. So tell me again how long you've been at Juvie?
1: I've been at Juvie for two years. I started off as the office manager for the first year Uh and created the creative executive position for myself.
0: Okay. And were you at Columbia before then? What were you doing?
1: Um, So the whole journey is- Yeah.
0: Let's take- break Break it down.
1: I was at Columbia in- 2008 when the economy did that thing. I was working Mm -hmm. for a broadcast journalism agency. That agency lost – well, basically half of our clients got fired on a single day in 2008. So that was pretty much the end of that company. Although it ended up kind of morphing into a speakers bureau. Somebody there had already – I'll give her a shout out. Pam Redwood um, at SMG Speakers helped convert the company from a broadcast journalism agency to a speakers bureau for since they already had these clients. These Mm -hmm. people had something to say. So she was booking them on speaking circuits. And tours and such. And so but as the agent for me, I needed something else to do and 2008 seemed like a really bad time to get in my car and try and move to LA. This day I'd been try- I'd been planning it all of my adult life yeah. but never had the guts to do it. And so 2008 I ended up I I wrote a cover letter to Columbia College for the admissions counselor position saying that I didn't go to this school, but I should have, and here's why, and pointed out how my school did not prepare me to do the sorts of things that I wanted to do and how I noticed Columbia grads doing the kinds of things that I wanted to do and yeah. how they were well-educated and well-equipped to do that. So they gave me the job, um, and I was there for a couple of years, but was very clear now is the time. I'm going to go to get in my car and move to LA, and that's actually how I ended up falling into the spiritual centered thing to begin with mm-hmm. is i didn't have the faith to move to my to move here and trust that I wasn't going to end up homeless on the street or a failure or coming turning right back around and coming home. I didn't have the money, I didn't have the resources, I didn't know anyone, so the idea of doing this was utterly terrifying.
0: No safety net. No,
1: none whatsoever. Yeah. And the idea of I needed I needed to learn what this thing of faith, what faith means and how it works. Yeah. Um to to make the decision and so I just Googled spiritual centers and mm. like, I think I Googled Chicago and spirituality right. and came across a place. It was called Chicago Center for Spiritual Living at the time. Right now it's called Bodhi. And I, it introduced me to a, di- a different way of faith that didn't have the dogma behind it of stories from 5,000 years ago where it really taught me how to use and uh, use the law of attraction. Um, And so I trusted that I understood how the law of attraction worked and that – Uh, At the time, I was dating my wife, and uh, we decided to get married and move out here together. So we came out a week after the wedding, and I was using the law of attraction, doing my best, and it wasn't working. I was not getting anywhere where I wanted to go in entertainment. So because the spiritual center is what gave me the faith to move here to begin with, I started taking more classes to try and figure out how the law of attraction works, because I was not getting anything in television. Mm -hmm. and so. Um, I took this class that the homework was – what we believe essentially is that your beliefs create your personal experience. Mm. And so if you are experiencing something that you don't like, it's on you to identify what belief you have that created it and on you to change it. And throughout my entire exploration of the law of attraction, it was usually like if you believe it – You'll experience it. But I never thought of it from the reverse of if I'm experiencing something I don't want, I am who created this. Mm. And I recognized I had all of these biases. Um, Part of it was – the, to break to break into entertainment to begin with, you usually have to start off as an assistant. There are very few people who've gotten around it. And people who get around it generally don't get the education that you get. Yeah. That is valuable as yeah. an assistant. So I was all for that idea, um, but I could not get anyone to give me an assistant job. And I realized that part of it had to do with my own bias around organization, that I'm, I'm not good with time management and – uh, just the stuff that makes somebody a good assistant. I did not; those qualities were not natural for me, mm-hmm. and so I realized that I didn't have to have that belief anymore. I didn't have to believe that I would be a crappy assistant. I could be the best assistant ever. It's just a belief that I have to choose. I'm smart enough and capable enough that this is something that I can choose. And the other thing were just biases against the TV industry, and so it's. Why would the TV industry want to hire me if I have these internal biases that I'm walking around with? And so I did like a forgiveness exercise of releasing all of my biases and I – claimed that I am the best assistant ever. And literally while I was in this class speaking this prayer, I got an email from the president of Studio Lambert asking me if I was still looking for a job. And that was my first full-time job in the industry. It came from that prayer in that moment. And so my entire experience with spirituality has been a series of that, of identifying how I've been holding myself back from some kind of belief. And the moment that I shift it then my life changes in that very second. So it's been something really easy for me to create spaces to to talk about because it's working for me. And that's all I talk about is my own journey.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Fear's a motherfucker, isn't yeah, it? Yeah.
1: It really is.
0: And 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 it's um but yet it can be our friend too, mm-hmm, right? If we're mm-hmm. able to harness it. Yeah, you like know? to
1: run from a bear. That's the idea behind it. Like if there's yeah. a bear in front of us, it – it's the thing that helps us act the right way. Yeah. But I don't know.
0: I'm always amazed, though, because in Hollywood, it feels like, you know, we we celebrate those stories that are singular or that, you know, tell about a world that is unknown to the viewer. Mm-hmm. It is completely singular. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, in and, and and yet that when you pitch an idea like that. <laughs> It's often met with, no, that that's that's too uh that's too specific or that's too narrow or that's too too Mitch. small. Yeah, it, yeah. that's on a mass market. <laughs> yeah. You know, I heard um Alec Baldwin on some interview and he was going off about how people in Hollywood, people that buy movies. Don't even like movies, hmm. like like he's like, why are these people in the movie business? They don't like mo- movies. They don't. They don't. They don't. They don't. Uh, uh, they 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 clearly don't get it half the time. And you know, it is fascinating. It seems like we celebrate the mavericks, uh, but yet when it comes to you know actually selling something that is unique and fresh and and unfamiliar, it's very it's very very hard.
1: Well, it's a business, and. A- And they're out to make money. And somebody, what we were talking about with fear, where if you make a decision that feels like a risk, what happens if it doesn't work out is you might lose your job. And so it makes more sense to try and go after what feels like, go after the reboots and the IP that people recognize than to try and encourage an original idea.
0: Yeah, they're not in the business of taking risks. No, you know, it isn't. They, you it's, know. it's
1: not a. That's that's just not what it's for. That's what the internet is for.
0: <laughs> well, at our conference last year, so or not last year, last spring, uh, last March, um, we produced a conference called the Not Real Art Conference for creators, mm-hmm. and it was a one-day learning event for artists and creators of all kinds that come together and learn, share, and, and grow. There were great speakers uh, talking about everything from art licensing to protecting your IP to pitching your ideas in Hollywood. I mean, on and on, right? And actually, um, there was on the pitching uh, panel the the panel about pitching ideas in Hollywood. Uh-huh. Our panelist, uh, who happened to be my wife Channing Dungey, said something very interesting. She said, "You know, the best storytelling is the it, it holds a mirror up." You know, to a world, to a culture, to a, a story that uh, that you just that, that is new and fresh. But at the same time, there's something in that story that reflects back on you, and you see yourself, you know, in that. So, so while it's 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 a it's a mirror and a window, yeah. right? Is what yeah. is what she was getting at. And um, and uh, and Jorge Gutierrez, who was also on that panel, who's an award-winning animator. Uh, who's doing a big project at Netflix right now? He was talking about because uh, he's really known for his artwork, mm-hmm. you know. But he was saying, you know, if the story is great, the artwork is secondary. And if you think you're gonna, if you're an artist and you think you're gonna sell a story based on the artwork, you're wrong. Like you got it's, the story's gotta, yeah, it's gotta kill, mm-hmm. you know, but.
1: Yeah, story stories is the way of of the way it all works. So, how many I pitches
0: how many pitches do you listen to in a week?
1: Probably not that many, mm-hmm. because from a develop, you know, as as a producer, what mm-hmm. we're doing is we are working with artists to help develop the pitch themselves. So, mm-hmm. the amount of projects that we take on from somebody having developed that pitch with either by themselves or without with some other producer, and then they come to us and we hear it. Um, I would say it's really probably only like two or three a week. the tops um maybe I shouldn't say tops like sometimes I imagine that there's some weeks we end up having a lot more um we we are the ones doing the pitching yeah. a lot of the times right. and and that's that's really what I've learned from this job is how to how to pitch myself, how to tell my story, how to, present my my elevator pitch and make make it clear as to what my scripts are about and mm. what this concept is about because you really want to entice this person with what it is that you're working on and at the same time um want to be very clear about what it is.
0: Yeah. Yeah, one of the things uh because I've pitched some mm-hmm. ideas around town and it's so fascinating um because my background really is in the world of marketing communication. So, Mm -hmm. I was always an agency guy, you know, got my start in Chicago as a graphic designer uh, after graduating, you know, Columbia College. Actually, I was freelancing while I was going to school. But so, in the marketing services world, right, if you're an agency, uh, creative agency pitching Procter & Gamble or some brand, you know, you go in and the, the, the first step in that in that relationship of potentially doing business is all about a, a, a presenting your capabilities, presenting your experience. So, your level setting around, like, you know, no, we're not hacks. You know, we know what we're doing. We've worked for these brands. We've launched these products. You know, we've been in business this many years. You know, we've won these many awards. Like, you know, we're, the real deal, you should consider working with us. And after you clear that capabilities presentation, they say, oh, okay, yeah, no, those guys are competent and and really talented and smart and we can imagine working with them. Then you get an opportunity to, submit a proposal for a project that they might have. So you get an RFP request for proposal and you submit that proposal and you're probably competing against two or three other firms and may the best firm win. And so it's a very kind of long drawn out process, you know, mm-hmm. when I got to LA over the last few years, you know, um, various uh, ideas have popped up, opportunities have popped up and, you know, and more specifically because we work to so many great visual artists who have so much great IP Um, I've had a number of meetings where I've gone in and I was like, you know, look at all these amazing artists. Look at all this amazing IP. You should consider working with us. And then they were like, yeah, but what are you selling us now? I'm like, Well, nothing, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, like, like I'm trying to show you that we are a wealth Mm -hmm. of, of, of content opportunities, a wealth of talent, a wealth of, of potential IP. And boy, that was so the wrong approach. Like it was, it was such a learning for me. Mm -hmm. And again, on that panel at our conference, somebody said, you got 10 minutes, man. You know, that first 10 minutes you come in and you very specifically, pitch them your idea. What are you selling that you want me to buy? And and it was just, it was, it was just a different mindset. I mean, obviously, every culture, every industry has its own culture. Everything's yeah. kind of different. Um, but the, but this kind of kumbaya approach to like, look at how smart we are. Look at how talented we are. Look at all the cool shit we've done. Let's do business is so not how it's done in Hollywood.
1: It, it really isn't. And the idea behind that is there's so many people who are constantly pitching all of the time that the purpose of the gatekeeping is to just try and make some kind of effort of culling down the amount of content that you're swimming through. Yeah. The amount of scripts, in, in they're not in my inbox. I don't keep them in my inbox because I can't. I, I keep my inbox to in, for things that are, require my immediate attention. Mm-hmm. But the box where I keep my scripts mm-hmm. are filled with things that I will never, ever get to. Yeah. And the ones that I will get to are things that somebody has followed up with me in some, because mm-hmm. I need that. I, yeah. You can't just send me something. Right. And then never say to me, hey, did you read that? Right. And somebody follows up, that's when I read it. But on top of that, like when people are lesser experienced in the business and they sent me something, I know odds are that by the time I read whatever I read, uh, finding something that I can use is incredibly challenging. And the amount of work I need to do to get that writer in shape so that they can Identi- really flesh out this idea in a way that make it sellable is so much work. Um, one of the things that I'm doing as a creative exec is is we're working both with artists who are a little further established. They've maybe been staffed on one show, mm-hmm. um, which is I think something that would be really uncommon to develop with people who'd only had one writing gig okay. or playwrights. You know, somebody who's mm. had. They're making a living as writers, just not TV writers. Yeah. And just, you know, having written many plays or been successful plays or having demonstrated that you have a voice, that's something that we can work with. Mm-hmm. Um, but somebody who has no writing experience, no professional writing right. experience, that's a lot of education that's put on my shoulders. Yeah. And um, my boss, the head of TV that I mentioned earlier, was really good about supporting me in this pilot where he's read every draft and helped me get this thing into shape. And this is time that he took out of not reading those scripts out of his inbox or wherever he keeps his scripts Mm -hmm. um, from way from doing that. But he values what I bring to the table. And this is a way that he could support me. And I'm grateful that he did that. But we, we don't have nearly enough time to educate people and because the industry itself is constantly changing the world is constantly changing yeah. there's no way to get a proper education on how to develop pitch and write for television without literally being in the trenches and doing it
0: yeah yeah no it was it was uh, it was you know price of an education yeah, you know it, that's what it, it is and it is. it's true because you guys are fucking swamped you're yeah. swamped you yeah. can't be asked to ponder. Mm-hmm. Right, you know, yeah. like wallow in in the the collaborative spirit of like, oh, we could do this and we could do that. Yeah. No, what do you have for me today? Yeah. You know, and
1: I've got to do the work of identifying which 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 one of these pieces of IP will work. Yeah. And you know, I I'm not familiar with it as much as the person who's selling it to me, so I need them to to know my brand right. and tell me what what things that I should be looking at to help pull the material down.
0: So as a creative person yourself, yeah, you know, inspiration, you know, uh, well, speaking for myself, right? I mean, uh, you know, we can't stop it. Like, I don't know about you, but I get ideas all the fucking time, right? And I have to like bank these ideas, right? If you look um, at my notes uh, app on my iPhone, Mm -hmm. I think I have almost 2000 notes because that's my notebook. I just have all these notes. How do you bank your ideas when you get your ideas and you're inspired for whether whether it's for a show or a new podcast or what is your creative process like?
1: Yeah, I do the same thing with my I, – I use the docs, the Google docs. Yeah. And I have one document called Script Ideas that mm-hmm. just has – Every idea that I've ever really come across that I felt like was interesting enough to write down. Mm-hmm. I, I never reference that doc as much as I bring it up, but it's nice to just have it, to yeah. know that I did it. Yeah. If there's something that I want to look at, I can. Um, I do keep lots of little random notes also in the Notes app mm-hmm. on my iPhone, and I, I use – I outline rigorously. When I make an active choice of saying, this is going to be my next project, mm-hmm. this is going to be the next thing I do, I do it. I'm not one of those people who has started a bunch of different things and has a bunch of unfinished things laying around. I'm I'm really focused in, this is going to be the next thing that I spend my time on. And so I pick that thing and start with an outline. And I outline forever, like months at a time. And I, I have... I've scheduled productivity weekends for me at mm-hmm. the top of 2019, mm-hmm. um, so I've, whenever a productivity weekend comes about, either I focus on one of those projects mm-hmm. that I'm outlining or if I've got something else, but it's a rigorous outlining process, and then once I feel like the outline is clear and complete, then I go to draft, and then I get notes and thoughts on the drafts, and based on those notes... I go back to outline and do it all over again. Because mm-hmm. for my last project, everything had been a page one rewrite. This last round was the first time that I did. I had it. I didn't need a page one rewrite. My concept worked. My characters worked. My world worked. I just – there were just some – Notes, some changes to make, and I did it.
0: So can can we hear yeah. this? Yeah, yeah. Okay, pitch it. I mean, right? I want to hear this story. The, you know, yeah. I'm
1: gonna use the notes that I, I cause Please I was do. like, so I'm gonna be on here. Yeah. I should at least like the log line. That yeah. was the big one is what's my log line. So it's a black lesbian recluse with a mysterious past is pushed outside of her comfort zone by her larger than life, transgender Latinx bestie when the cute girl who when a cute girl moves in next door.
0: so you know it it implies
1: it's a rom-com and my thought process behind even the fact that it's a transgender latinx character there's an intentionality behind it i didn't just do it because it's popular yeah right um there there's a a secret around Mm -hmm. that character Mm -hmm. that gets revealed Mm -hmm. in the last moments of the script um that makes sense why she is of this identity and um, same thing, the black lesbian, she's she's inspired by my wife. It's, it basically takes place in Lepanto, Arkansas. My wife is from Mark Tree, Arkansas. Okay. And there's a, a grocery store in Lepanto called Roaches that I think <laughs> is hilarious, right? Are you like, fucking kidding me? I'm like, you buy your groceries from a place called Roaches. And like, <laughs> <laughs> the the guy who owns it is Mr. Roach. So it was like they never really processed the fact that this was hilarious.
0: He couldn't get past his own narcissism to realize. It. It's just <laughs> what they it.
1: do in Arkansas. I love you like
0: it. I love make it. something
1: with your name on it. So like for me being an outsider yeah. of looking into a place like small town in Arkansas, right. um it I enjoyed
0: the lens. And to be fair, I mean Roach the the a roach's reputation in Arkansas is got to be way more wholesome than a reputation in, in that a roach has in say New York City.
1: Yeah, yes, right? absolutely absolutely does. That, <laughs> that's part just, of the reason why I think they didn't really process. Uh, that's it. right, that's right. I don't know, but there there are just so many funny things to me about. Yes. It, it just created, the space created yes. a natural opportunity for humor and everything that I kept trying to write that was in Chicago or in L.A., it was like we see Chicago in L.A. all the time and Lepanto, Arkansas is not a place anyone has ever seen. And just so the name Lepanto. <laughs> right.
0: The name is funny. Yes. <laughs> what part of the state is Lepanto in? I've driven through Arkansas many yeah, times yeah. and I've been to Little Rock. It's <laughs> closest
1: to Jonesboro, which is famous for okay. one, of the, like, one of the very first school shootings in yeah, yeah. 11 and a 13-year-old yeah. who shot up that school. So that's why Jonesboro is even on the map. But now it's one of the fastest growing cities in America is Jonesboro, Arkansas. Mm-hmm. So they have access to to red lobsters. And Jonesboro used to be in a county that was dry. Um, right. Actually, it's still dry. Like you mm-hmm. cannot buy you can't buy liquor from the store there, but you can get it from a restaurant. And you have to you need a membership because right. the way that they do things in Arkansas is they made it so that black people didn't have the same rights. And yeah. so they did things like You had to have a membership to have access to alcohol and the memberships were only at country clubs that kept black people out. And so now that we've gotten a little further past racism- A little bit. um, Just a little bit. bit. Places like Red Lobster have a membership thing, so you have to sign up to get a glass of wine when you order from there. And I don't know why. Well, the membership thing is
0: also very prevalent in in Utah, right? Uh, You know, the Mormon thing Mm -hmm. uh, has uh, the our our Mormon brothers and sisters uh, have a have a very specific kind of system around drinking and what have you Mm -hmm. uh, in um, Salt Lake City, where you you have to be a member to drink, and but yet you can be sponsored. If you meet a member there, they'll say, Oh yeah, I'll sponsor him. He can have a drink. So it's very, very loosey goosey. And then when you, but you can only have one drink on the table at a time. So Mm -hmm. it's like, and you have to finish that drink before you order another one and they can't set the new drink down without taking the old drink. Like it's a very like weird thing, but the dry counties thing is always interesting. Have you, have you ever bought booze from a bootlegger?
1: No, I have not. But in Arkansas, yeah. when I'm with my wife, sometimes at, at, at my mother-in-law's, somebody will come over with, wine, with liquor that they made.
0: Sure, With yeah. moonshine. Yeah. And
1: I'm like, yes, I am here <laughs> for this. <laughs> I'm so glad this person just showed up at the door with a jar of moonshine.
0: It, that's culture right there. <laughs> yes. That's survival. I love it. I love it. Yeah, I, I once found myself in a dry county in uh, uh, western Kentucky. Mm-hmm. And uh, we track down a bootlegger, uh, you know, uh, you know, the white trash motherfucker in the in the in a, in a deep in the woods in a trailer. Uh, with a fucking cardboard sign uh, with his Sharpie that said open <laughs> on the in the door, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and he banged on the, the trailer uh, door deep in the fucking woods of western Kentucky. And you could buy, you know, a bottle of uh, whatever and go on about your way. Uh, very bizarre.
1: Luckily, Lepanto and Mark Tree, where my wife is from, are not in Dry County. So it's yeah. only when we go to Jonesboro that I realize I can't just pick something out from the store.
0: Right, right. They have
1: drive-through liquor stores in Mark Tree.
0: drive so- <laughs> Yes. There are drive-through liquor stores, <laughs> yes. and there are also drive-through strip clubs. Did you know this?
1: No, I didn't. This I don't understand like- how that works. Yeah,
0: well, it is, it, it's a shock. I've never been to one. I've read about them. Apparently, you drive-through... You pay your money, you get a look see like at, at a peep show, kind of pole dance, whatever, and then you just keep <laughs> on driving. I don't know how desperate you have to be to either, you know, be a patrons there, uh, be a patron there, or be a, a worker there, but my heart goes out to all those people. It
1: helps with the privacy, I think. Like no one's going to run into you at the show club. I guess maybe they could see your car, but only the one car in front of you or behind.
0: Wait, is that my pastor's car? <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly. So the Disaster. that makes
0: sense to uh, me. So, so for for our listeners' um, benefit, I just want to read the a little bit about Juvi Productions. Yeah. And I just you know pulled this down off the website because um, I want to make sure that they understand uh, this fantastic company that you're with. Uh, Juvi Productions is an artist driven, LA based production company that develops and produces independent films, television, theater, VR, and digital content across all spaces of narrative entertainment. Juvie Productions seeks to produce economical yet premium, sophisticated, and character-driven stories. With an emphasis on producing narratives from a diverse range of emerging and established voices alike, Juvie Productions aims to become the go-to creative hub where the next generation of filmmakers and artists have the space to craft dynamic stories spanning the broad spectrum of humanity.
1: That's awesome. We have a great mission statement. You do
0: have a fucking good mission statement. (laughs) Like, that's no joke right there. Yeah. Like, where do I sign up?
1: <laughs> right? I that's gotta, the whole thing. That's I gotta, why I have more than I can handle.
0: <laughs> this but- <laughs> podcasting thing, you know, I could give this up in a heartbeat.
1: <laughs> that's, that's why way more than I can handle because people love that. It, and and I'm glad to be able to, to create the space for it. It's just our time is limited.
0: Yeah, right. For sure. Well, that's just it. I mean, look, what I've said to so many people is um, – Good ideas are a dime a fucking dozen. Mm-hmm. You know they are. Uh, mm-hmm. The issue is execution. Yes. You know, and when it comes to selling, God damn it, you got to be good. Yep. You got to be on it. You got to be, you know, uh, clear, concise. You know, passionate. And uh,
1: people have to be able to compare it to something else. So, right. I mean, part of. The structure of this pilot that I was working on was—it's written within the intention of cable and streaming, so it's got to be somebody reads it, they know exactly what home this would live on, and yeah. and learning what those what that structure looks like right. and how to do that in a way that's surprising and interesting and mm-hmm. compelling—that's mm-hmm. not easy to do, which mm-hmm. is why I needed a professional producer to help me craft this.
0: Yeah, I I, I have this idea right, yeah. which I've been toying around with. Um, I, it, it it the working title is Sunday School, mm-hmm. right? And it's essentially B- Breakfast Club, the movie, mm-hmm. set in church.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. I get that. Yeah, right.
0: And the inspiration was really my own life, right? Uh-huh. Because like the, we were, I was raised on the church pew. Me and my some of my life oldest friends, and our pay our parents were, you know, deacons in the church or leaders in the church. But of course, we were raising hell. And But yet, we we're just young, dumb kids trying to find our way, trying to learn, you know? Yeah. And so, anyway, so the concept is obviously they're learning about life within the context of the church and they meet up every Sunday morning, you know, uh, aka Sunday school. But the you talk about it, com- you know, finding something to compare it to. Like, it just dawned on me the other day, like, oh, no, this is Breakfast Club set in yeah in Sunday school which is
1: amazing because like Sunday school has to be a breakfast club that none of these people <laughs> chose to show up to this place because of, well, I shouldn't say none of them show, showed up because someone else will be there somebody
0: you always have the do gooder who who is who is there like cuz they you know the 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 rules the yeah, rules <laughs> yeah. yeah
1: but it's a whole thing of like yeah. these, the people who are there are you don't get to predict who who's going to be there you right. can try and get to get your friends to come but Whoever's there is ultimately who decided that this is what they wanted. And that's what I love about spiritual centers is that you get an opportunity to interact with the most diverse people ever Um, and people you would never, ever speak to in regular life. But because you're in church and you're performing this, you're doing this really sort of heart led activity together where you're vulnerable with this person, you end up getting, forming these relationships with people you would have never, ever chosen to be friends with outside of this context. So I, I feel like Sunday school creates the perfect environment for you to experience a breakfast club every single week. I, I'm here for it. I love it. And the other thing that's cool about it is that it is authentic and comes from your personal experience. That Those are always the best pitches when someone says this is what I did. This is a story that happened in my life. Because that's nothing that anyone can ever write, that your perspective, your church, your town, wherever you were, is so specific to you that it's not replicable, but it's still universal at the same Absolutely. time. Absolutely.
0: And you have like this other situation, because I think back, right? And it's like, here we were in puberty, horny as hell, yeah. you know, 12, 13, 14 years old, whatever it was. And our parents and our pastors are telling us, you know, sex is a sin. Mm-hmm. You got to, you got to save it for marriage, all of this. And yet, you know, here we are making out in the church yeah. basement or yeah. whatever. Right. I mean, just so
1: <laughs> it <laughs> like, reminds me of Big Mouth in some ways. Like, Big Mouth. I haven't yeah. seen that. I'll have oh, to check it out. You really okay. should check okay. it out. It's, it's animated on Netflix. Okay. And it's, oh, right.
0: I've, yeah. I've seen it advertised. It, okay. It's
1: an, an incredibly frank representation of what of a horny 12, 13 year old life is nice.
0: like. Nice. Okay. Good. Good. Yeah. Uh, that sounds. Yeah. That sounds like very relatable <laughs> <laughs> material. <laughs> so, um, I we had the very special opportunity, honor uh, a couple years ago. I was at an event and I happened to sit uh, right across. Uh, the table uh, from Viola and Julius mm-hmm. and um, and Viola's agent. I'm forgetting her name.
1: If it's a hers probably her manager, Estelle.
0: Manager, Estelle. She yeah. was great. Yeah. And they, I mean, we just, we were sort of trapped, you mm-hmm. know, together. So they were stuck with me. They mm-hmm. couldn't really escape. I'm sure they wanted to. But it seemed like we had a wonderful kind of exchange of conversations.
1: Yeah. Julia uh, said you're a good guy. I feel like oh, I mentioned. You mentioned? I'm sure I have. Oh,
0: okay. Yeah. Well, I thought he was awesome. <laughs> Like I, My question, I'm saying that, to, so I'm not name dropping. What I'm doing is saying, are they as nice as they seem? Is it as fun to work with them as it, as it seems it would be?
1: They are nicer and more fun than you can ever imagine. Oh,
0: wow. Okay. Um, my, That's incredible.
1: So my first year, I, yeah. I, was, I was the office manager. I'd been working there for two months mm-hmm. and they invited us over for Thanksgiving dinner. And I'm like- Thanksgiving at Viola's house, yeah, yeah, and and invited me to bring my wife, and you know I came in. Viola was in a onesie, and she just was comfortable in her kitchen. It wasn't a I an A lister, and I'm going to act accordingly. Like you're in my house, like that's what it was. She didn't put on airs and pretenses, and she was incredibly authentic. And I never, I just never had seen a black woman in a kitchen. A professional black woman be this authentic before, which is a crazy thing for me to say because mm. I come from a family of professionals, but authenticity isn't essentially, we're not taught, black women are, not ta- are taught to code switch, to assimilate. And so being in a professional setting means that you put on your best face and your mm. best foot forward. And Viola's you know, in a onesie telling her truth in a kitchen full of who the fuck ever is here with no really regard or concern as to whether anyone's going to share any of these stories on the internet, like incredibly comfortable in her own kitchen. And I had just, I've never seen that. Yeah. Our, my own family Thanksgivings are incredibly fun. Have some, we're we're authentic because we're comfortable with each other. Mm-hmm. But you put, so, you put a coworker in the middle yeah, of man. our Thanksgiving dinner, it changes the whole thing. Yeah. And- it was so cool to me to see that, but like I've said, that Julius is just the nicest guy you can ever meet in your entire life. The right. way him and I met, so the way we even ended up at Juvie is—I ended up at Juvie is when I was working at CAA. And Julius introduced himself to me in the elevator. And CAA is not a place where people just introduce themselves to strangers. And an elevator. We were. (laughs) This was the first floor. We were only going three floors up. It was not the slowest elevator ever. But we ended up having a conversation. And I had drinks with somebody. Basically, I'd said that I'd had drinks with what I thought was his assistants. I didn't know he was the. Julius Tenen, you know, I, I was like, I think this is the guy, but I'm not sure. Yeah. And I would had drinks with somebody from the office. And so I said, I think I had drinks with your assistant. And he proceeded to describe someone who was not at all who I had drinks with. And <laughs> I fully acknowledged that. And we laughed about it. Yeah. And I said, I'm going to go find out who that was. And turned out that that person was the VP of the company. And I had no clue. So I reached out and I said, Hey, I just ran into Julius in the elevator. I'm looking for a showrunner's assistant, writer's PA kind of job. And he said, Well, we've got this office manager job available. And that's how I ended up there. But the fact that it came out of Julius introducing himself yeah. to a stranger at CAA is representative. Like he, we, he, he Lots of people come in the office because they met Julius in an elevator. Yeah. I'm actually trying to get him to be less nice. You know. <laughs> we're all well, very, very busy. Yeah. And that's that's been my objective right. is to to say yeah. to have the conversation, but yeah. don't tell people who you are and what you do and thank them and don't take their card well, you know, not call it, them back.
0: That's hilarious because he gave me his card. Yeah, he I'm told sure. me to call yeah. him, like, let's get together. Because we really you know, I I felt like it was like we were like really like having a nice authentic real conversation. We were stuck together for for well over an hour, and so for him to do that, it, it felt really nice. And I and I actually had every intention of following up. I did not, and part of the reason I didn't is because you know it's weird because because my wife works in the industry yeah. and knows a lot of these people on a professional level or works with them or what have you. Like like I like I'm very protective of that and mm-hmm. protective of her. And while I don't think anybody's giving me their card just to be nice or because I happen to be married to so-and-so or whatever, you know, at the same time, like, I'm just extra cautious about being like, hey, it's Scott Power, but let's have lunch, you know, whatever, you know, because... That's, it's not my world. Mm-hmm. I'm just sort of like, you know, related to it, <laughs> you know? Like, yeah. Like, so anyway, I, I, I just thought the world of, of Julius when I met him. And and it's so funny to me that you're trying to get him to be less nice because he was so fucking nice.
1: Because <laughs> we're busy. <laughs> and he wants to help and support everybody. And we can't. I do not have the b- bandwidth to talk to, to meet with all of these people. He's a
0: yes and guy. <laughs> yes,
1: he is a yes and guy. He needs but some he also, yeah. part of the yes and is he also does respect and understand that we do have a don't have a lot of time as projects are being set up in certain places. He gets that and is he, it isn't as if he's putting pressure on us. There's yeah. no that's the other thing that I value. I've never heard of anyone who's worked for a talent based production company that doesn't have that that isn't taking meetings because their boss says they they have to. Julius does not actually stick his nose in the TV department. He supports the TV department as opposed to telling us what to do and how to do it. Same thing with Viola, where they give us the freedom and exploration to create really sort of independently. And then we go to them and we say, this is what we're doing. And unless something is like, oh, hell no, I don't want my name on that, then that's what it is. Yeah, so now right. we know, and we will make sure never to do anything that is representative of this thing that made you say hell no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but like. And they've never said it like that either. No, no, you know? right, but of course. That's but what it's I great mean. to know like yeah. wh-
0: where the constraints are, where the yeah, limits are. That's yeah. what
1: it is, and, and it's not even about constraints so much as like I don't want to be associated with this. And yeah. our whole thing—it's—it's it's been my own personal brand as well, so it's been very easy that mm-hmm. it's aligned where we don't want to perpetuate stereotypes. Essentially, if we generally see black people in the position of crime, we're not going to produce a, a show where black people where the narrative right. is driven by crime. Yeah. Um, Because we see so much slave slave narratives, we're not doing that. And if for some reason we're open to the exploration of it, it means that somebody is executing it in a way that is incredibly different than we've ever seen before. So, um, civil rights stories is another one where, you know, we never say we won't do this, but it's a we're not doing the next. Selma or whatever yeah. it is. Like that's not something we want we want to be aligned with as a department. And Julius and Viola completely support support us and our objectives and, and our kind of personal mandates around it. But it's nice that I don't have to take meetings because Julius met this guy in the elevator. Basically, I'm telling Julius that, <laughs> yeah, right. that he I think he could spend his time better. But it's not that <laughs> he's mandating it of me or like they call this like FO. Friend of so-and-so is like a a term I've heard a lot. And FOV, this is an FOV. (laughs) I've never had an FOV meeting ever. I've never had a script I've had to read because Viola said, you need to read this, which if she ever did, I feel like I'd be honored to read it. I know it would be amazing because anything that she would ever give to us, I'm confident would be something that it it passes her muster. Yeah, right. And her um, litmus of what it is that she – thinks is is incredible material. Like Violet, she's a genius. I don't I don't need to explain any further yeah. as to how she's a genius. No, but hell no. I know if she has a piece of material that has her stamp of approval on it, it's gonna be an incredible piece of material. And yeah. everything that she digs into, a project I can talk about, um there's a movie that's called Fast Color that starred mm. Gugu Mbathara and, and Lorraine Toussaint. And it was a, about three generations of black women who had this kind of superpower. And it was it's set in Eight years after a drought, and it's a really family story. It's a female story, yeah. and Viola dug into that. So, when Amazon called us and said, Are you interested in developing this uh, with the producers and the writer? We were here for it. And Viola was, she dug in and came to the meetings because it was a project that she was really passionate about. And mm-hmm. I agree with her of all of the things that we needed to have her voice for. That was it. And I'm yeah. glad that we didn't have to. You know, fight for it, that she she got it, she saw it, she heard it, and she brought incredible, valuable insights that was blowing my mind. Every word out of her mouth is freaking wisdom. We're talking about me being mm-hmm. wise. This is why I'm reluctant to own it because everything out of Viola's mouth feels like wisdom. She's like our modern day Maya Angelo, though she would never claim that for herself either. She's right. someone who doesn't, um, she's she's equally as humble as well. So it's just. It's an incredible environment. I could not sing its praises higher.
0: Yeah. Wow. What a nurturing, empowering place, it yeah, seems. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly what it is. That's, where are your offices?
1: We're in – we're right in Burbank um, near the Warner Brothers a okay. uh, lot, which is fun too to look out the window yeah. and have that – the opening of movies kind of be my view outside every morning in the water tower. It is pretty amazing. crazy,
0: right? The history and yeah. the, the the epic – Stories behind the stories. I mm-hmm. mean, just like because you're literally in the the belly of the beast, yeah, so to speak. And
1: it's good for me to to now understand how people of color have been left out of the conversation, yeah. and <clears throat> and why the fight for us to for representation is, is such an uphill climb. But at the same time, I'm I'm optimistic because I see so many people who are incredibly smart and educated and in the fight that aren't giving up and working within the context and the confines like your wife that are really sort of blazing the trail for people of color behind them. I really feel like we're on the precipice of a civil rights movement that is taking place in present day. Yeah. It's fun to be a part of it.
0: Yeah. It 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 yeah. God can we just fucking throw gas on it already? You know what I mean? Like, like, I, think let, I mean, no, no, we are. Trump is gas. No, 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 no. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I'm just like, I'm so impatient. I, as a white dude, I'm impatient. Mm. I can't believe. I mean, the the patience and the 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 steadfastness and the courage that my friends of color have in the face of all this bullshit is so inspiring to me because I know I get so angry, you know, on their behalf.
1: I can say that that in the I mentioned my multiple identities that there has been so much growth in in the in this world I, or I should say in America that i it's been challenging for me to keep up with. Mm. I have to shift my own mindset to step up to the ceilings that that were put in place that are really being lifted and taken away. and so i I have to own who I am and speak up for myself yeah. in ways that I'd never felt like I'd had the opportunity to do. And now that I recognize that I have it, I have to lean into it more. But the the amount of freedom that I experience as a lesbian, is crazy to me that when I was 17, we were just having a conversation about the existence of LGBT people when I came out. It was new language for me. And I felt like television is really what helped create the space for it, where I, I had the language because Will and Grace was on, because Ellen had come out on television. I knew it was not such a foreign concept for me to say, this is who I am because other people had done it. On TV, but they had just done it that freaking year, and so like I, I was seventeen. This was nineteen ninety eight that I came out, and mm. so it was it was such a scary thing. But at the same time, I wasn't afraid because I knew that we were on the cusp of really shifting our relationship to L- the LGBT rights movement. And now I'm sitting in a chair in twenty nineteen with at a time where gender non-binary is a conversation that's being had and that my my email signature has my gender pronoun preferences um, specifically because we're having conversations about pronouns. That's something I would have never anticipated from 1998 to 2019 for me to be legally married. When my wife and I got married in 2011, it was not legal in Illinois and we had to yeah. drive to Iowa. We had the wedding in Chicago yeah. and drove to Iowa <laughs> to make it legal. Right. And Three years into our marriage, it was is federally recognized and the amount of advancements that there has been in such a short period of Mm -hmm. time, to me, it's as fast as it could, it's breakneck speed from where I say.
0: And it's a miracle and it's so amazing and it's so inspiring, but it's like also so fucking confusing when you look at sort of, you know, our, our, when you look at what's happening on the, on, in the federal government, Mm -hmm. right? When you look at the supreme court when mm-hmm. you look at how conservative our our at least our federal uh, judiciary and our federal government seems to be going right and yet you know, like on the state level, right, there seems to be a lot to get excited about, a lot to be, you know, so this disconnect, right, between what we see on television uh, or what we hear or read mm-hmm. or whatever and what we experience in our daily lives. Certainly, we live in L.A. and, and that's a, you know. Sort of its own kind of unique place. Our country is a very diverse place. Um, Arkansas is probably, uh, well, you know, at roaches right now. I'm wondering <laughs> what's you know <laughs> what people are doing, but I don't know. It's just this disconnect. Like it, it must you must wake up sometimes and and go like, what the fuck? How 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 do I feel so good in one area and and so frustrated in another?
1: Well, I think about the fact that the the country itself was founded on values where slavery was just the norm. Yeah, and so when we are still operating from a set of rules and regulations that were identified when slavery was the norm that those rules really have to be revamped considerably at a time that that we're having a conversation about what it what it means to create an inclusive country. Yeah. And so we're just now having those conversations and we're doing things like letting go of monuments mm. that supported slavery and and the old ways and and right now you're seeing people on Fox News talking about our founding fathers as if using, citing those people is more credible than the half black, half Jewish lesbian in front of you in 2019. <laughs> and the reality is just that that shift of letting go of what no longer serves us and really identifying what does serve us from this point forward, it's a clusterfuck of an experience. And so I, I think it's going as fast as it can. Yeah. I don't have any judgment well, it, around it. Yeah. I I feel like it's all we can sort of mentally handle one step at a time. But the the issue is that we're constantly putting Band-Aids on things. But I feel like the fact that we've got more women and more people of color in Congress Mm. and the Senate than ever before, LGBT people, Native American, like it's just this – those people are going to be the people who help us throw the electoral college in the trash can and really revamp who we are as a country because that archaic way is no longer working for us.
0: See, this is the wisdom that we're talking about this, 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 this sage, uh, patience that comes with wisdom, my, my impetuous white privilege will not (laughs) let, let me be patient. It's like, so like wild, but it's so true. Like there's so much to be, and it's all happening. Like it's sort of, you know, what is the chrysalis, right? I mean, you know, the, 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 um, caterpillar becoming the, the butterfly. I mean, this country is being, Reinvented and yes. rebir- rebirthed in so many ways. And yet, understanding where we come from and how we got here is critical in terms of finding that patience, right? Because, you know, as I've said, you know, listen, let's remember this country was founded by religious zealots, Pur- Puritans who committed uh, rape and genocide and slavery to found their white world of, of religious freedom. Um, that's where we started. Yeah. So, uh, so let's be, you know, let's put it in context. I mean, I'm not one of my, you know, some of my liberal friends here in LA, you know, certainly when Trump got elected, what have you, it was like, oh, the sky is falling. The sky is falling. It's world. I'm like, no, it's been worse. Yeah, I'm not saying it can't yeah. get worse and I'm mm-hmm. not saying Trump's a good guy. I'm saying yes, we got to be vigilant. We got to vote our conscience. We got to rally. We got to we get the democracy we we make not the one we deserve. You know, like like all hands on deck. I'm not suggesting we rest on our laurels, but the sky isn't falling. It's been worse. We've come a long way. Yes. This is a blip. Remember Obama was just our president.
1: Yeah. It's not <laughs> even a, a blip so much as it is historical. Yeah. Like I know right. who George Wallace is and the impact that he he made Around segregation, because he was somebody who stood up actively for it. And the reason that we've moved beyond. Jim Crow and segregation is because they had to be in place for somebody to dismantle it. Yeah. Somebody has to say, this is how we should treat people who are other – for other people to come up and say, no, we need to make substantial, significant changes to ensure that this doesn't happen again and that people are no longer treated this way as a norm. And so I'm I'm grateful for that that flow, the fact you have to have a yin and a yang. Yeah. Somebody's got to be – you need an antagonist for our hero's journey to stir within us that makes us say, no, I'm going to do something about it. And speak up about this and initiate change and believe in ourselves. Yeah. Somebody had pointed out oh, um, Samantha B.
0: Love Samantha B. Me
1: too. Pointed out how the Koch brothers, of course, um, were the ones who shifted the conservative agenda away from climate change towards believing that climate change doesn't exist. That these two people in particular yeah. recognize that their pockets would be affected by government supporting climate change. And so because of that, they were against it and identified ways to really lead the Republican Party to be a party that does not believe in the existence of it. And so I love the fact that Samantha B exists to make that stuff clear. Yeah. But it also demonstrates that one person can have such a significant impact. If the Koch brothers can make us question, make half of the population in this country question whether climate change is real or not, someone else – can do the opposite. Someone else like Greta Thunberg can do something about actually having us address climate change in a way that a we have What a hero. that
0: Young woman is like right? w- incredible. Yeah. Fucking the 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 Moxie, the 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 gumption, the the power of her truth. I mean, because that's a, she's speaking truth to power. You know? And um and that's I mean, listen, I'm a dad. Like, you know, like one of the reasons I didn't want to be a dad is because I've like I'm quite nihilistic when it comes to the the environmental challenges we have. Like I'm very pessimistic. I, I I I get. I find it it's hard for me to find hope when it comes to climate change and reversing the effects of man-made pollution. I hope I'm wrong. I did. You know, we adopted both our kids, so you know our kids would have been here anyway. So I'm glad that we got them, and I'm glad we're trying to. You know put them on a path to realize their purpose in life and what have you and you know i don't drive a prius so i'm not going to sit here i mean that's just part of my my nihilism like like cuz i cuz i f- my pessimism is such that i feel like the the problem is so massive that me driving a prius isn't going to f- make a lick of difference Right, because this is we're talking about reversing the the economy of the whole world, <laughs> like right now.
1: Yeah, somebody pointed out that something like seventy percent of the world's pollution is caused by a hundred companies, and so right. that idea of knowing that something can be done—it's it, not about us having – taking shorter showers or whatever or driving a Prius. It's that we have to do something about those 100 systemic, companies. It's a
0: systemic issue. Yeah.
1: But that's yeah. what we have to address is the yeah. systemic issue at its root. Well,
0: and – I mean, but 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 when you think about capitalism uh, being the primary driver of, of economic growth in the world – It's rooted in consumerism, which is about consumables, which is about disposables, which Mm -hmm. is about why the fucking ocean is filled with a bunch of fucking plastic bottles. Mm -hmm. And that's what, you know, that's the the faucet you got to turn off. Talk about these hundred companies. I'm guessing how many of them are in the consumer products business, you know, and – but – to your point, you know, with new uh, faces in Congress, with you know the the new changes happening at the local, state, and even federal level, um, there is hope. Yeah, there is, is hope.
1: I am happy about that.
0: Yeah, there is hope. I uh, and my kids give me hope. The fucking you know, like they make me laugh every fucking day, and they're smart kids who see things differently, and. Um, you know, so, yeah, I guess there's hope if I look for it. Great. <laughs> Karen Frost, That's you are fantastic. Thank you. For, You're for fantastic. For com, coming and hanging out and playing podcasts with me. Like, like, now, like, I guess now I have to come back to your show.
1: You know, I'm happy to have <laughs> yeah.
0: you.
1: We really are. We're always looking for guests.
0: Yeah. Well, so, do you guys, uh, you guys record, when are you recording again? Um, you, do, you do it once a month, right? Yeah, we do. Yeah.
1: And it is it is a based on other people's schedules because I don't have kids that yeah. I have to- work schedules around at this point. Um, So of the things I do consistently, that's the thing that is a – Based on whatever works for everyone else, yeah, yeah, situation, yeah.
0: right. All so right. we
1: have not figured out who our next guest is this month. I have to figure. <laughs>
0: that's, on that's that. That's the plan. You, yeah. your plate is more than full. That's so, what it is. So you are going to leave the studio today. You're going to head out into the great uh, big world of, yes. of Hollywood. Uh, what does the balance of your afternoon look like? What is it? What is this day for Karen Frost? It look is like? a
1: combination of what my day usually consists of. Yep. where The first thing that I'm doing is dropping off a chip from a camera that recorded this last spirit uncensored event mm-hmm. and the person whose chip is wants it back, which is reasonable. <laughs> um there are like bookkeeping things that I need to do in between. Now I've got to advertise for the event that we're happy having this Sunday at Ahia Center for Spiritual Living in Pasadena at 430. And I am – I've got a meeting with like some really cool actors. Nice. Um, that are happening. in ha, A talent-led production company and the the talent themselves is showing up mm-hmm. Um, for this meeting. So that's really exciting. It's somebody who's just in for a limited time and that's it. And then probably working on something. I think I need to blog. I have not blogged for Spirit Uncensored in a long time. And this – your podcast has really helped me – See myself as an artist really sort of ignited yes. that perspective, yes, um, and recognizing that I'm in a position where I I have the opportunity and the permission to embrace yep. who I am as an yep. artist, and yep. so it's inspired me to like to write. And so right on. I think tonight I will write a, a blog about where our my theme for this month is faith, because um, what we teach at Spirit Uncensored is is that we're always at choice, that faith will always serve you, and that uh, living a life of gratitude. Will always work out for you. So yes. I separated it, the themes into a few months, and faith is what we're leaning on. And intuition is the focus that I'm focusing on in relationship to faith. So, mm-hmm. intuitive AF is my talk title, and I am allowing, choosing to allow intuition to guide me to whatever it is I have to say and in inspiring my blog this afternoon.
0: That's fucking awesome. <laughs> you know the 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 intuition like you have me an in intuition like i'm just imagine i'm just thinking about how many my biggest i think in some of my biggest joys and some of my biggest pains in life have been rooted in my ability to either listen to my intuition or i disregarded my mm-hmm. intuition and it's like you know it's like your intuition's trying to tell you something <laughs> you know yes. are you listening
1: yes the way I ended up at CAA was that everything everything pointed me to it. Yeah. And I didn't want to be there. So like this this place seems horrible. Why would I put myself in this position? Yeah, And I had to have no other choice. Every job that I'd been going after, every job that I thought I had lined up mm-hmm. fell away. And it was a, if I don't get this by this date, I'm just going to go to CAA. And that's exactly what happened. And it was the best thing for me. And all the times that I listened to my intuition and I thought it had scared me wrong, mm-hmm. um, I made a judgment about it of- I must not – I my intuition does not guide me in the right direction. And what happened is I didn't allow for time to pass and look back at that situation. Like there was a – the girl actually that, I, that was in, inspired as one of the characters in my spiritual AF pilot was somebody that I felt intuition guided me to her. And the relationship died a fiery, burny death. And I was like, why would my intuition guide yeah. me in this direction? But what it did is it had me living in Iowa for a year. And that one year that I lived in Iowa, all of my best friends came out of that. Even my wife came from somebody that I met at a party. At It was a birthday party for one of my friends from Iowa. Yeah. So it was just – It ended up being an incremental part of my life, um, regardless of the fact the relationship didn't work that work out. That's not what I came there to learn. But I looked – I judged my intuition based on – what didn't work for me as opposed yeah. to looking at it from a macro perspective and realizing it had been working well for me all along. It's like the ruby red slippers.
0: <laughs> uh, I have to ask because I have family from – uh north, uh, w- the west, northwest corner of Iowa, uh, near Moville, Iowa. Where where in Iowa were you?
1: I was in, it, I, she was enrolled at Iowa State. And okay. so I was in this, this town and I was working at the TV station in Des Moines. And it was right horrific. Like <laughs> I was in a car with this person who's kind of my boss yeah. listening to Sean Hannity. And this man turned to me and said, slavery should have never been abolished. And I'm like, what do you mean? Like, what's ha- I'm in a car? Like, should I be concerned for my safety? What is going on right now? And Whoa. you know, this man just had this perspective that the that black people would have been better off if slavery had never been abolished. And he was perfectly comfortable sharing his opinion with me about that in that moment. And so like my experience in Iowa was stuff like that, people saying things to my face that I didn't know what to do with. And if this person is my superior, yeah. what am I doing with this? Yeah. I couldn't function in that place. I lived there for, I said it was a year because I could not survive as an adult and, and maintain my personal sanity. I just had to get out of there and go back to Chicago with my tail between my legs. That's why I was so scared about coming to LA because I yeah. what blew up in my face so hard. I wasn't homeless, but right. it was such an uncomfortable experience.
0: Well that's the thing about our country, right? I mean, our country is massive. Mm-hmm. It is a big big place. Yeah. And it is you know, for lack of a better word, incredibly diverse in its in its mentalities, mm-hmm. in its cultures, in its, you know, philosophies or whatever. And um you know, uh, it, it 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 it's it, it's just, you know, I get frustrated with the Democrats because you know, it feels like you know, Republicans bring guns and we bring knives. You know what I mean? Like, like you know, like it's it. You want to say something? What are you I gonna do. Say? Yeah. I get
1: what you're saying, but I also know that the idea yeah. that, that working within government is such a challenge. Yeah. That. I would never want to do it. I would never no, want to I experience know. that level of scrutiny. Yeah. I know how hard it is to yeah. have an idea yeah. and get that idea into reality yeah. in the context of right. government. I right. feel like you can
0: right. make change well, in my frustration, context. My frustration these days um, is what I, I, I keep talking about, like, more than anything, like, I'm just fr- frustrated by what I call lack of imagination, you know, to reinvent the language. Um, it's a lot
1: of work. You have to retrain a lot of people. Totally and it's right. Such it's a bloated it, industry. It's, it's
0: ingrained, right? It's ingrained. But you know, and but Obama did a great job, right? Of in terms of speaking to our aspirations and our hopes, and you know, but it's 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 about a human centered. Government, you know? Yeah. What, um, what
1: Obama is criticized for is speaking about hope, but not actually making the change.
0: Yeah. He set out well, to make. I mean, and he I was don't... a politician too. <laughs> like, you know, like I, I'm not one of those people that thought he was a, a perfect president. He was not at, at all a president. It's a very flawed president. I voted for him both times. But, you know, but, but yeah, I mean, it's just, it's like, it feels like we've got to figure out new paradigms, new rhetoric because. It just feels like the old paradigms aren't working so well.
1: Every industry is bloated and all of the none of them are working. And the the newer generations, the millennials, Gen Zs, everyone after that recognizes that it doesn't work, but they don't know how to get into those industries and fix them. And so I think half of them are are kind of giving up and then they're Oh, uh, you do. You think they're giving up. eh? Well, I mean, they're just doing other things. You know, it's Mm. sort of like I'm gonna I'm going to make my own art and sell my art on Etsy or like they they find other ways to, to participate in the gig economy mm-hmm. so that they can live who, live the life that they want to live without having to fuck with these
0: structures. Well, politics are blood sport and and you know I, I mean these you're talking about a generation that got trophies for showing up whether they won or lost. Mm-hmm. And you know, I I wonder to what extent and I'm that's a huge yeah. generalization but like I just you're going to need grit, you're going to need resilience, you're going to need, you know, and I and I hope that they have the grit and the resilience that it's going to take. I know? think
1: what they have is the imagination and yes, the ingenuity yeah. to to reform yeah. these institutions.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But Have I you seen know, The we'll Great see.
1: Hack? No, I haven't.
0: Okay. That's yeah, on I watch it. Yeah, I'm I'm familiar. watching it. I'm watching it now. Uh do you know what it is? Yeah, I do. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. super like, you know, powerful I'm in sp- so far.
1: I'm in the space of like because I'm I'm speaking out like I'm trying to only let in as much as i can yeah, right. and i you know with with trump being president there's a lot there's a, just a lot of vitriol out there so mm, i've been right. it's been hard for me to swim through and get the content that i feel like speaks to me that inspires me yeah. in some some kind of way and so i have not done the best job i've kind of created a media blackout for myself that is not working for me as of now. And again, (laughs) same thing with the artist. Like now that I'm embracing who I am as an artist, I feel like I need to engage in this content so that I know what I have to say and what I'm saying about it. You know?
0: Sounds good. Sounds good. Yeah. Karen Frost, thank you for coming.
1: Thank you. It was my pleasure.
0: We'll talk later. All right. Hey there. Thanks for tuning in. Please be sure to like this episode and share it with your friends on social. And if you haven't already done so, Please be sure to press subscribe and follow us on IG at NotRealArtificial. We appreciate the support. Sourdough. Out.